Section twenty six of volume one D of History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of sixteen eighty eight. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of sixteen eighty eight by David Hume, volume one D, section twenty six. Chapter forty two, part one. Elizabeth. The dangers which arose from the character, principles, and pretensions of the Queen of Scots had very early engaged Elizabeth to consult, in her treatment of that unfortunate princess, the dictates of jealousy and politics, rather than of friendship or generosity. Resentment of this usage had pushed Mary into enterprises which had nearly threatened the repose and authority of Elizabeth. The rigour and restraint thence redoubled upon the captive queen, still impelled her to attempt greater extremities, and while her impatience of confinement, her revenge and her high spirit concurred with religious zeal and the suggestions of desperate bigots, she was at last engaged in designs which afforded her enemies, who watched the opportunity, a pretense or reason for effecting her final ruin. The English seminary at Rheims had wrought themselves up to a high pitch of rage and animosity against the Queen. The recent persecutions from which they had escaped, the new rigours which they knew awaited them in the course of their missions, the liberty which for the present they enjoyed of declaiming against that princess, and the contagion of that religious fury which everywhere surrounded them in France. All these causes had obliterated with them every maxim of common sense, and every principle of morals or humanity. Intoxicated with admiration of the divine power and infallibility of the Pope, they revered his bull by which he excommunicated and deposed the queen and some of them had gone to that height of extravagance as to assert that that performance had been immediately dictated by the holy ghost the assassination of heretical sovereigns and of that princess in particular was represented as the most meritorious of all enterprises and they taught that whoever perished in such pious attempts enjoyed without dispute the glorious and never-fading crown of martyrdom by such doctrines they instigated john savage a man of desperate courage who had served some years in the low countries under the prince of parma to attempt the life of elizabeth and this assassin, having made a vow to persevere in his design, was sent over to England and recommended to the confidence of the more zealous Catholics. About the same time, John Ballard, a priest of that seminary, had returned to Paris from his mission in England and Scotland, and as he had observed a spirit of mutiny and rebellion to be very prevalent among the catholic devotees in these countries he had founded on that disposition the prospect of dethroning elizabeth 
and of restoring by force of arms the exercise of the ancient religion the situation of affairs abroad seemed favourable to this enterprise the pope the spaniard the duke of guise concurring in interests had formed a resolution to make some attempt against england and mendoza the spanish ambassador at paris strongly encouraged ballard to hope for succours from these princes charles paget alone a zealous catholic and a devoted partisan of the queen of scots being well acquainted with the prudence vigour and general popularity of elizabeth always maintained that so long as that princess was allowed to live it was in vain to expect any success from an enterprise upon england ballard persuaded of this truth saw more clearly the necessity of executing the design formed at rheims he came over to england in the disguise of a soldier and assumed the name of captain fortescue and he bent his endeavours to effect at once the project of an assassination an insurrection and an invasion the first person to whom he addressed himself was antony babington of dethick in the county of derby this young gentleman was of a good family possessed a plentiful fortune had discovered an excellent capacity and was accomplished in literature beyond most of his years or station being zealously devoted to the catholic communion he had secretly made a journey to paris some time before and had fallen into intimacy with thomas morgan a bigoted fugitive from england and with the bishop of glasgow mary's ambassador at the court of france by continually extolling the amiable accomplishments and heroical virtues of that princess they impelled the sanguine and unguarded mind of young babington to make some attempt for her service and they employed every principle of ambition gallantry and religious zeal to give him a contempt of those dangers which attended any enterprise against the vigilant government of elizabeth finding him well disposed for their purpose they sent him back to england and secretly unknown to himself recommended him to the queen of scots as a person worth engaging in her service she wrote him a letter full of friendship and confidence and babington ardent in his temper and zealous in his principles thought that these advances now bound him in honour to devote himself entirely to the service of that unfortunate princess during some time he had found means of conveying to her all her foreign correspondence but after she was put under the custody of sir amias paulet and reduced to a more rigorous confinement he experienced so much difficulty and danger in rendering her this service that he had desisted from every attempt of that nature when ballard began to open his intentions to babington he found his zeal suspended not extinguished his former ardour revived on the mention of any enterprise which seemed to promise success in the cause of mary and of the catholic religion he had entertained sentiments conformable to those of paget 
and represented the folly of all attempts which during the lifetime of elizabeth could be formed against the established religion and government of england ballard encouraged by this hint proceeded to discover to him the design undertaken by savage and was well pleased to observe that instead of being shocked with the project babington only thought it not secure enough when entrusted to one single hand and proposed to join five others with savage in this desperate enterprise in prosecution of these views babington employed himself in increasing the number of his associates and he secretly drew into the conspiracy many catholic gentlemen discontented with the present government barnwell of a noble family in ireland charnock a gentleman of lancashire and abington whose father had been cofferer to the household readily undertook the assassination of the queen charles tilney the heir of an ancient family and titchborne of southampton when the design was proposed to them expressed some scruples which were removed by the arguments of babington and ballard savage alone refused during some time to share the glory of the enterprise with any others he challenged the whole to himself and it was with some difficulty he was induced to depart from this preposterous ambition the deliverance of the queen of scots at the very same instant when elizabeth should be assassinated was requisite for effecting the purpose of the conspirators and babington undertook with a party of a hundred horse to attack her guards while she should be taking the air on horseback in this enterprise he engaged edward windsor brother to the lord of that name thomas salisbury robert gage john travers john jones and henry don most of them men of family and interest the conspirators much wanted but could not find any nobleman of note whom they might place at the head of the enterprise but they trusted that the great events of the queen's death and mary's deliverance would rouse all the zealous catholics to arms and that foreign forces taking advantage of the general confusion would easily fix the queen of scots on the throne and re-establish the ancient religion these desperate projects had not escaped the vigilance of elizabeth's council particularly of walsingham secretary of state that artful minister had engaged maud a catholic priest whom he retained in pay to attend ballard in his journey to france and had thereby got a hint of the designs entertained by the fugitives polly another of his spies had found means to insinuate himself among the conspirators in england and though not entirely trusted had obtained some insight into their dangerous secrets but the bottom of the conspiracy was never fully known till gifford a seminary priest came over and made a tender of his services to walsingham by his means the discovery became of the utmost importance and involved the fate of mary as well as of those zealous partisans of that princess babington and his associates having laid such a plan as they thought 
promised infallible success, were impatient to communicate the design to the Queen of Scots, and to obtain her approbation and concurrence. For this service they employed Gifford, who immediately applied to Walsingham, that the interest of that minister might forward his secret correspondence with Mary. Walsingham proposed the matter to Paulette, and desired him to connive at Gifford's corrupting one of his servants. But Paulette, averse to the introducing of such a pernicious precedent into his family, desired that they would rather think of some other expedient. Gifford found a brewer, who supplied the family with ale, and bribed him to convey letters to the captive queen. The letters, by Paulette's connivance, were thrust through a chink in the wall, and answers were returned by the same conveyance. Ballard and Babington were at first diffident of Gifford's fidelity, and to make trial of him they gave him only blank papers made up like letters. But finding by the answers that these had been faithfully delivered, they laid aside all further scruple, and conveyed by his hands the most criminal and dangerous parts of their conspiracy. Babington informed Mary of the design laid for a foreign invasion, the plan of an insurrection at home, the scheme for her deliverance, and the conspiracy for assassinating the usurper by six noble gentlemen, as he termed them, all of them his private friends, who from the zeal which they bore to the Catholic cause and her majesty's service, would undertake the tragical execution. Mary replied that she approved highly of the design, that the gentleman might expect all the rewards which it should ever be in her power to confer, and that the death of Elizabeth was a necessary circumstance, before any attempts were made either for her own deliverance or an insurrection. These letters, with others to Mendoza, Charles Paget, the Archbishop of Glasgow, and Sir Francis Inglefield, were carried by Gifford to Secretary Walsingham, were deciphered by the art of Phillips, his clerk, and copies taken of them. Walsingham employed another artifice in order to obtain full insight into the plot. He subjoined to a letter of Mary's a postscript in the same cipher, in which he made her desire Babington to inform her of the names of the conspirators. The indiscretion of Babington furnished Walsingham with still another means of detection, as well as of defence. That gentleman had caused a picture to be drawn, where he himself was represented standing amidst the six assassins, and a motto was subjoined, expressing that their common perils were the band of their confederacy. A copy of this picture was brought to Elizabeth, that she might know the assassins, and guard herself against their approach to her person. Meanwhile, Babington, anxious to ensure and hasten the foreign succors, resolved to dispatch Ballard into France, and he procured for him, under a feigned name, a license to travel. In order to remove from himself all suspicion, he applied to Walsingham, pretended great zeal for the Queen's service, 
offered to go abroad and professed his intentions of employing the confidence which he had gained among the catholics to the detection and disappointment of their conspiracies walsingham commended his loyal purposes and promising his own counsel and assistance in the execution of them still fed him with hopes and maintained a close correspondence with him a warrant meanwhile was issued for seizing ballard and this incident joined to the consciousness of guilt begat in all the conspirators the utmost anxiety and concern some advised that they should immediately make their escape others proposed that savage and charnock should without delay execute their purpose against elizabeth and babington in prosecution of this scheme furnished savage with money that he might buy good clothes and thereby have more easy access to the queen's person next day they began to apprehend that they had taken the alarm too hastily and babington having renewed his correspondence with walsingham was persuaded by that subtle minister that the seizure of ballard had proceeded entirely from the usual diligence of informers in the detection of popish and seminary priests he even consented to take lodgings secretly in walsingham's house that they might have more frequent conferences together before his intended departure for france but observing that he was watched and guarded he made his escape and gave the alarm to the other conspirators they all took to flight covered themselves with several disguises and lay concealed in woods or barns but were soon discovered and thrown into prison in their examinations they contradicted each other and the leaders were obliged to make a full confession of the truth fourteen were condemned and executed of whom seven acknowledged the crime on their trial the rest were convicted by evidence the lesser conspirators being dispatched measures were taken for the trial and conviction of the queen of scots on whose account and with whose concurrence these attempts had been made against the life of the queen and the tranquillity of the kingdom some of elizabeth's counsellors were averse to this procedure and thought that the close confinement of a woman who was become very sickly and who would probably put a speedy period to their anxiety by her natural death might give sufficient security to the government without attempting a measure of which there scarcely remains any example in history leicester advised that mary should be secretly dispatched by poison and he sent a divine to convince walsingham of the lawfulness of that action but walsingham declared his abhorrence of it and still insisted in conjunction with the majority of the councillors for the open trial of the queen of scots the situation of england and of the english ministers had indeed been hitherto not a little dangerous no successor of the crown was declared but the heir of blood to whom the people in general were likely to adhere was by education an enemy to the natural religion was from multiplied provocations an enemy to the ministers and principal nobility and their personal safety 
as well as the safety of the public, seemed to depend alone on the Queen's life, who was now somewhat advanced in years. No wonder, therefore, that Elizabeth's counsellors, knowing themselves to be so obnoxious to the Queen of Scots, endeavoured to push every measure to extremities against her, and were even more anxious than the Queen herself to prevent her from ever mounting the throne of England. Though all England was acquainted with the detection of Babington's conspiracy, every avenue to the Queen of Scots had been so strictly guarded that she remained in utter ignorance of the matter, and it was a great surprise to her when Sir Thomas Gorges, by Elizabeth's orders, informed her that all her accomplices were discovered and arrested. He chose the time for giving her this intelligence when she was mounted on horseback to go a-hunting, and she was not permitted to return to her former place of abode, but was conducted from one gentleman's house to another, till she was lodged in Fotheringay Council in the county of Northampton, which it was determined to make the last stage of her trial and sufferings. Her two secretaries, now a Frenchman, and Curl a Scot, were immediately arrested. All her papers were seized and sent up to the council. Above sixty different keys to ciphers were discovered. There were also found many letters from persons beyond sea, and several, too, from English noblemen containing expressions of respect and attachment. The Queen took no notice of this latter discovery, but the persons themselves, knowing their correspondence to be detected, thought that they had no other means of making atonement for their imprudence than by declaring themselves thenceforth the most inveterate enemies of the Queen of Scots. It was resolved to try Mary, not by the common statute of treasons, but by the act which had passed the former year with a view to this very event, and the Queen, in terms of that act, appointed a commission consisting of forty noblemen and privy councillors, and empowered them to examine and pass sentence on Mary, whom she denominated the late Queen of Scots and heir to James V of Scotland. The commissioners came to Fotheringay Castle, and sent to her Sir Walter Mildmay, Sir Amias Paulette, and Edward Barker, who delivered her a letter from Elizabeth, informing her of the commission and of the approaching trial. Mary received the intelligence without emotion or astonishment. She said, however, that it seemed strange to her that the Queen should command her as a subject to submit to a trial and examination before subjects, that she was an absolute, independent princess, and would yield to nothing which might derogate either from her royal majesty, from the state of sovereign princes, or from the dignity and rank of her son, that however oppressed by misfortunes, she was not yet so much broken in spirit as her enemies flattered themselves, nor would she on any account be accessory to her own degradation and dishonour, that she was ignorant of the laws and statutes of England, was utterly destitute of counsel, 
and could not conceive who were entitled to be called her peers or could legally sit as judges on her trial that though she had lived in england for many years she had lived in captivity and not having received the protection of the laws she could not merely by her involuntary residence in the country be supposed to have subjected herself to their jurisdiction that notwithstanding the superiority of her rank she was willing to give an account of her conduct before an english parliament but could not view these commissioners in any other light than as men appointed to justify by some colour of legal proceeding her condemnation and execution and that she warned them to look to their conscience and their character in trying an innocent person and to reflect that these transactions would somewhere be subject to revisal and that the theatre of the whole world was much wider than the kingdom of england in return the commissioners sent a new deputation informing her that her plea either from her royal dignity or from her imprisonment could not be admitted and that they were empowered to proceed to her trial even though she should refuse to answer before them burley the treasurer and bromley the chancellor employed much reasoning to make her submit but the person whose arguments had the chief influence was sir christopher hatton vice-chamberlain his speech was to this purpose you are accused madam said he but not condemned of having conspired the destruction of our lady and queen anointed you say you are a queen but in such a crime as this and such a situation as yours the royal dignity itself neither by the civil or canon law nor by the law of nature or of nations is exempt from judgment if you be innocent you wrong your reputation in avoiding a trial we have been present at your protestations of innocence but queen elizabeth thinks otherwise and is heartily sorry for the appearances which lie against you to examine therefore your cause she has appointed commissioners honourable persons prudent and upright men who are ready to hear you with equity and even with favour and will rejoice if you can clear yourself of the imputations which have been thrown upon you believe me madam the queen herself will rejoice who affirmed to me at my departure that nothing which ever befell her had given her so much uneasiness as that you should be suspected of a concurrence in these criminal enterprises laying aside therefore the fruitless claim of privilege from your royal dignity which can now avail you nothing trust to the better defence of your innocence make it appear in open trial and leave not upon your memory that stain of infamy which must attend your obstinate silence on this occasion End of section 26, chapter 42, part 1.